You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. In worship the past few weeks, we have been talking about holy community. How do we relate with one another? How do we stay in community and in healthy relationships as a church, as even a town, as a nation, as a culture? So our scripture today invites us to think about how we might be talking with one another and what kind of words should we be using. Let's listen to this scripture from James. The scripture reading for this morning is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, and chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Know this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. This is because an angry person doesn't produce God's righteousness. When we bridle horses and put bits in their mouth to lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. Consider ships. They are so large that strong winds are needed to drive them, but pilots direct their ships wherever they want with a little rudder. In the same way, even though a tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts wildly. Think about this. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. Since the start of 2020, well over a thousand words have been added to the Merriam-Webster English Dictionary. Now, some of the words, as you might expect, are specifically coronavirus-related. We've got words like pod, bubble, self-isolate, uh, long hauler, PPE, the acronym WFH, with which many of us by now are familiar with as standing for working from home. But there are other words that have been added to the dictionary that uh, are not coronavirus related at all, like huga, the Danish word that refers to coziness during long winters. I thought it was pronounced Haiga for a long time, but uh, the internet has corrected me. Another word added recently is an acronym BIPOC, which stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. That acronym speaks to the unique systems of racism that these specific groups face in our culture. There are a lot of reasons words might get added, and there are a lot of interesting words that have been added. It points to this idea that the words we use matter. Perhaps just as much as the words that we use, the tone with which we say them matters too. It means really something different when we say, that was great, versus saying, well, that was great. You know that, right? It brings us to our reading this morning from James. James is a pretty unusual book, and I love it. Most scholars believe it was written in the very early days of Christianity when followers of Jesus were trying to figure out who they were collectively. 
And it's sort of written like a letter, but it's sort of not. It has kind of the basic greeting that you'd expect to see in an epistle in the New Testament, but it doesn't have some of the other letter cues that we might see, for example, in a letter written by somebody like Paul. So it's kind of its own thing, the book of James. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've also read that James is written in a particularly eloquent and thoughtful Greek. The passage that we read this morning would have been alliterative and had a pleasing rhythm and cadence to it in the original Greek. And the sentences are short intentionally. That was a rhetorical style that the writer used. The writer of James very carefully considered the words and the phrasing and the sentences and the structure in this book. James is a book about how to live and how to act as a Christian based on our faith and convictions. What do we do? How do we live things out? The reformer Martin Luther famously despised the book of James exactly for that reason. It's focus on actions. Actions that come out of our faith, yes, but the focus on what are we going to do differently now that we're Christians. James is also unusual in its communal and egalitarian approach. It's not focused on hierarchy. It's not focused on maintaining places in society. It says it doesn't matter who you are, you're invited to live in exactly the same way if you have faith in Jesus Christ. The idea of being mindful in our speech as Christians is first introduced in chapter 1 of James, and then it's reintroduced and expanded in chapter 3, which is why we had both of those passages read today. Most of us have heard that verse from chapter 1, James' invitation to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's good advice. And then chapter 3 amps things up a little bit by introducing some new images into the conversation. The tongue and the words we speak are like a rudder guiding a ship or a bridle guiding a horse. The words that we share are like a tiny little flame that can spark a massive forest fire. The words we use matter, and James' images are verging on dire in the way that they try to get that point across. James argues that the words we use guide our thoughts and our actions, perhaps having much larger ramifications than you or I might initially think. That's part of James' point. It seems like such a small thing, doesn't it? to make a remark here or there, to cause some discomfort, to cast a quick judgment. It seems like a tiny thing, a one-off. You said it once in passing, it doesn't really matter, right? But a bridle is a very small thing too, and yet it directs the direction of the entire horse moving forward. The images that James appeals to, a rudder on a ship, a bridle on a horse, They would have been fairly common images in Greco-Roman times. People would have been familiar listening to these things. They would have said, ah, yes, James is appealing to this common image. Tiny instruments that wield great power. And for James, the tongue, or our speech patterns, they are something to be tamed. It's something that is almost outside of our control, the way James paints the picture, that we really need God's help to keep in check. And he goes so far as to use the word evil in his description in later verses of chapter 3 that we didn't read this morning as he talks about our potential, the potential of our speech to do harm. 
Now I'm often wary of tossing around words like evil in today's landscape because I think most often it's used as a word that causes harm and places judgment on others in ways that may or may not line up with our Christian faith. And yet it's also true that we've seen some awful things come to pass in recent months that are birthed first out of the hateful ways that some of us speak about one another. So perhaps James had it right. There's great power in the language that we use. There's great power in the thoughts that we share, whether we verbalize them or we write them on a computer. Our call as Christians is, be, is to be attentive as to what comes out of our mouths, what is typed, what words we put out into the world. The words we use, the tone we use, the type of things we express on a regular basis, those things matter. As people of faith, those things deeply matter. For example, how much time do we spend being complainers? How much time do we spend being negative? How many times do our conversations focus on bringing somebody else down by complaining or placing judgment or talking about how wrong or annoying we think they are? We all have fallen victim to this at, time, at times. We all have been complicit in this at times. How often do we leave a conversation or a store or even our workplace and the first thing out of our mouths is the thing that annoyed us or frustrated us? When somebody asks us about our day, how often do we go to the negative first? How often do we gather with friends or with colleagues and use our time to talk about our dissatisfaction with what others are doing? We all have been part of these conversations. It's not like any one of us can say, oh, I've never done that, because we all have. And I know we all have different personalities, so different things are harder for different people and easier for different people. But let me be clear, we all struggle with this. Clergy struggle with this, too. It's challenging to try and control the words that we speak. It's tough to be intentional all the time with what is coming out of our mouths, what we're typing and putting out into the world. To try and avoid grumbling for no reason or to stay up to, to date even with the most accurate and correct language to talk about things and people so that we don't cause unintended harm. It's challenging. It's not easy. And it's a constant struggle to intentionally use our words in a way that builds people up rather than tearing them down. Or even as James suggests, to remain silent rather than speaking every single thing that pops into our heads. All this is complicated by the fact that sometimes it is appropriate to use our words to complain or to express frustration. Sometimes our calling as Christians is, in fact, to name what is wrong, to use our voices in lament or in righteous anger. There's a great deal of nuance here because words expressing difficult truths and difficult emotions have a place in our faith too. It's not all happy thoughts and words all of the time. And in fact, there's a concept that I've become aware of just very recently that folks are calling toxic positivity. Have you heard of this? The basic idea is that if we always have to look on the bright side, even when things are awful around us, it may cause us to feel as though negative emotions don't have any place. 
there's nothing wrong with looking for silver linings and I would say always we can find blessings and find reasons to be grateful regardless of our circumstances. And yet, at its worst, toxic positivity does not allow space for grief. In fact, portrays sadness or anger as some kind of failure. We build up this culture sometimes without even realizing it. Because if we force ourselves or force other people to, in quotes, be positive every moment of every day, we might end up rejecting difficult emotions, difficult realities, anger, sadness, loneliness, things that often need to be addressed and named and talked about in a healthy, open way. Sometimes a toxic culture with this toxic positivity makes people feel like they have to fake being cheerful. Sometimes we do this as churches, too. You come into worship, people say, how are you? You're feeling awful but you put on a smile and you say, I'm, I'm great, and you try to fake it. That's not healthy. We don't want anybody to feel like they have to put on a facade when they come to church. We want people to come as they are. We want people to be able to feel what they feel and say where they're at and name their reality. If your world's falling apart, you don't need to fake a smile. It's okay to express anger. It's okay to express sadness. It's okay to admit that we do not have everything together and we are a mess sometimes. As we consider James' call to be careful with the words that we use, it's helpful to think about the words that Jesus spoke throughout the Gospels. Jesus uses his, word, his words in a wide variety of ways. I had some fun looking through different quotes from Jesus Sometimes Jesus speaks in condemnation of those in power, those who are not protecting the most vulnerable. Like when he calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers and he proclaims that they have forgotten the most important part of the law, peace, justice, and faith. Jesus is really not afraid to call people out if they are not doing the right things, if they've missed the mark, if they're not caring for the poor. He'll call them out in a second. On the cross... Jesus expresses vulnerability. He says, my God, you have forsaken me. It's this ultimate representation of sadness and lament. He goes there. He's not afraid to say it. Jesus also uses his speech to invite and to heal and to break down barriers. He says things like, you are healed. You are forgiven. He invites the disciples by saying, follow me. He says things like, let the little children come to me. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. He's always turning things on their heads as you look at things that Jesus has said. He speaks and he offers new possibilities and new perspectives and new ways of seeing the world. He says, turn the other cheek. He says, love your enemies. Do not store up treasures on earth. Do not judge. And yet at the, all, at the same time, Jesus says things like, come to me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus' speech is powerful throughout the Gospels. He invokes blessings. He invokes curses. His words have the power to calm a storm when the disciples are huddled, frightened in a boat in the midst of a big storm on the lake. His words have the power to bring people back to life. There are also countless moments in Scripture when we're told that Jesus went away by himself to a secluded spot to pray. Jesus was silent a lot, too. We're not told how long those moments lasted, but 
they're frequent in the Gospels. We get the sense that Jesus did spend quite a bit of time not speaking. And sometimes Jesus' moments of silence are as powerful as what Jesus did end up saying, like when Jesus wept after his friend Lazarus had died, or when Jesus was silent when he's being questioned at his trial right before his death. Do you remember that? They're asking him questions and he just, nothing. Jesus consistently defies our expectations and invites us to expand our understanding through the things that he says and the things that he doesn't say. He expresses a wide range of emotions. Now one of the things though that Jesus does not do at any point in the Gospels is Jesus does not complain about people behind their backs. He doesn't offer personal attacks that are disconnected from some kind of invitation to repent or to change. In the things that Jesus says, there is always some kind of option for shifting the dynamic. This is what you need to do to fix it. That's the kind of speech that Jesus gives. There are plenty of times when Jesus could have complained, right? He could have turned to James and John and said, you know what, Peter, he is just not going to make it. He is a mess. I don't think he has what it takes. He could have had that kind of conversation, but he doesn't. What we notice as we read through the Gospels is that if Jesus is offering criticism, if Jesus is complaining, it is always directly offered to the person that he's criticizing. So Jesus does have some harsh words for Peter, for example, but they are always addressed directly to Peter. He always says, Peter, this is the deal. Jesus frequently has harsh words for the Pharisees and the Sadducees as well, the religious leaders of the time. And they are always spoken out in the open. They're always spoken publicly to these people, to some of these these representatives. There are no secret gossip sessions for Jesus. In fact, he even says there is nothing secret that will not become known. He's all about the direct. He's all about coming to you directly to say, this is what I need you to hear. This is what needs to be said. So when I was in seminary, two of my good friends took on some spiritual disciplines for Lent, like, like you do when you're in seminary, and like we all do from time to time. And uh, one of them took up the practice of listening more for Lent, and the other friend took up the practice or I guess gave up the practice of gossiping. No gossiping for Lent. Both of them still talk about that Lent, and they say that was a long, quiet, silent Lent. These are seminary students, right? But if we're not being intentional, any of us can find it easy for our conversations to take on a life of their own and suddenly be focused on the negative, on the gossip, things that do not reflect our calling as Christians. James says, let us be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Those words, that advice is still as applicable now in the 21st century as it was in the first century. At another moment in seminary, a group of us were standing around. We were gathered after class and we were complaining about a professor. And I forget what we were even mad about. We probably thought the syllabus was dumb or maybe we didn't think her class was well organized or we were you know, indignant at the injustice of the timeline, or I, I don't even know. It doesn't matter. But it moved from a place of acknowledging that we were frustrated to a time of piling on complaints. Have you been in that kind of conversation where one person says one thing and then the next person, and it almost becomes like a bonding experience where you're sharing all of your complaints. 
and everybody wants to get their little jab in, and you just kind of go. You, you, you get going. You get on a roll. Well, what I remember most about this conversation is that in the middle of it, another student interrupted us, and he said, okay, that's enough. We've said what needed to be said here. We do not need to keep talking about it. We need to stop. And I remember it distinctly because I had never at that point in my life been part of a group where someone so calmly interrupted things and said, that's enough complaining, and challenged us to move on and be kinder. I mean, maybe when I was a kid, of course, a parent or an adult will say, quit your whining, right? But not in an adult uh, capacity, not in an adult conversation had, that, had I had this experience. And the one who interrupted us, he wasn't angry. He wasn't self-righteous about it. And in fact, what made it even more memorable is this was the kind of guy that everybody really liked at seminary. He was well-respected. And it was sort of surprising to me then that he would speak up in a way that might make him seem unlikable because he, he was calling us all out. We all felt a little bit sheepish afterwards. We went, oh, yeah, he's right. We're entering the season of Pentecost now, and we're also about to start summer in a few weeks. Both of these seasons are about heat. You got the flames of the Holy Spirit going for Pentecost, and then summer, of course, we got rising temperatures. It's going to get warm. Perhaps, based on the book of James, we should not be looking at heat this summer, but in fact, looking at cooling things down a couple notches. One of our challenges as Christians is to work at taming our tongues, to work at being mindful of what comes out of our mouths, the intention behind what we're saying. Why, are, why am I saying these words at this time to these people? Is it from a, a good place, wanting to be helpful, or is it from a place of just wanting to pile on and get my jab in and have some kind of bonding moment over being mutually negative about something? I think sometimes our calling is to cool things off a bit, to cool off our tempers before we, before we talk, to cool off some of that unhealthy energy and go into the conversation ready to talk in a helpful way, an uplifting way, a respectful way, or perhaps maybe ready to address people directly. If you've got a problem with somebody, you can always pull them aside and say, hey, I need to talk about this. I have some things that need to be said. It's always healthier to talk with the person that we're upset with instead of talking circles behind their backs with other people. And then perhaps if we're in a group setting, our challenge is to cool down the temperature of the group, to speak up and to remind others that there are different ways that we're called to talk about things as Christians. And that doesn't mean we can't express negative things. Let me be clear. We can talk about being sad. We can talk about being angry. We can talk about being frustrated, feeling isolated. Whatever you need to talk about, it's okay to talk about. But we all know that there is that line where it goes from expressing what needs to be said to talking about someone else or talking in circles in a way that doesn't lead to positive change or positive healthy actions. Respect and love should be at the heart of our conversations, not judgment, not mistrust. And if we find ourselves this summer talking a lot about someone else without talking to them, it's, it's probably not healthy. We all know that, right? May we all spend some time in the weeks ahead examining our language, 
thinking about the intentions of the words that we share. Intentionally engaging our patterns of speaking and maybe altering them. May we not be afraid to interrupt a group and say, okay, that's enough. May we be people who remember at all times that the words we use, they matter as people who seek to follow Jesus Christ. May we grow to be more like Jesus in all that we do and in all that we say. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.